This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. We're still in the midst of our summer learning series here on the Bar Conversations. We have Craft Beer 101 once again with Kevin Patterson for Tasting Notes. He'll take us through the world of Sours and Gosas. We did IPAs for the first two parts because there's just so many. I don't even think we hit on all of them. That's a fun conversation. And our main conversation is with singer-songwriter Lauren Balthrop. She's got a new album coming out next month. She is a blast to talk with. And we didn't even get to like all the the um, craziness that she does. She's so busy all the time. Uh, she's an amazing person, and it was a lot of fun talking to her. Don't forget to follow us at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. You can find us at YouTube as well and at HopSpirits.com. But let's not waste any more time and get into the show. It's almost time. Where did I, where, where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> It's time for Tasting Notes. We're back again here on Tasting Notes with Craft Beer 101. And joining us once again is Cicero National Beer Judge Kevin Patterson. He's also the manager of the Beer Trap Craft Beer Store and Bar in Lexington, Kentucky. Kevin, thanks for sharing a little more knowledge with us. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm happy to do so. Now, you know, we did the IPAs for the first two, two goes of this. But I figure, you know, there's another thing that is just going wild and crazy these days. And I feel like you might find any type of combination with these, and that is the sours or what I used to love and see so much of was the gosa. So what is a sour and a gosa? Are they the same? Are they slightly different? And kind of where do those come from? Yeah, they're a little different. Um, one thing I love about you know beer is you know Americans' um, ability to you know, recognize the need of something that's rooted in history, but you're always creating modernizations to it or updates to it. And so that's kind of what's happened with today's sours. Um, there was a time not that very long ago when the term Goza and Berliner vines were virtually extinct. There might've been one or two breweries in the world that made those. Um, what was popular at that time, or at least popular enough or wanted to be popular was Belgian style sours. However, those take a very long time to mature. They got to do it in the barrel. There's a lot of fuss to them. So by the time they reach the consumer, they're expensive. Uh, a bottle can easily run you eight, nine, $10. They're not very alcoholic. So a lot of people would enjoy those on occasion, but not all the time. Anderson Valley, they changed hands uh, about 10, 12 years ago. And when they did that, they kind of recognized the need for that sour, but the only thing they could reach back to are these Goza beers and Berliner Weiss beers uh, that at one time had prominence in Northern Germany before the lagers kind of swept over and everybody found affinity for those and forgot about these sour styles. Uh, these sour styles are basically led by lactobacillus, which is a natural occurring um, bacteria. It's a probiotic, so don't be afraid of that term bacteria. Um, some people you know, will go to Rite Aid and they'll spend 40, 50, 60 bucks a month on probiotics they don't know they could be drinking sour ales with us and have a lot more fun at it so uh, but we are talking about the same uh, bacteria and it's a friendly bacteria so what anderson valley decided to do is there any way we can use that fast acting bacteria and lactobacillus and create sours that people will enjoy that can get on the shelf at a much easier price point something that's closer to you know nine ten eleven dollars a six pack rather than twenty or twenty five dollars for a bomber and so that's whenever we started seeing terms like gozas and Berliner Weiss. Berliner Weiss are supposed to be drier, more sour, less alcoholic. Gozas are supposed to be a little bit more full, a little bit of salinity added to them, uh, a little bit more of a wheat body to it. 
Um, so a lot of times if you saw that, it wouldn't be as sour as the Berliner Weiss, but it would have, certainly be a sour style to just take the foot off the pedal of acidity just a little bit. Um, America, what we've learned to do is kettle sour these beers. Now that we have technology, we have the microscope, we can see very small things and we can decide which strain, uh, substrain of lactobacillus that we want. We realize some are very, very clean. We can propagate those and we know they're very fast acting in fermentation. So it doesn't take years to ferment them. It can take days. So what they've learned to do is take the beer, mash it, strain off all the solid stuff. And I have this liquid. Instead of going to the brew kettle, you hold it in a holding tank for a little bit and then you add the lactobacillus then. And you don't have to wait on it to step up. We can add as much as we want to kick off their fermentation very, very fast. And brewers have two ways to measure acidity at that point. They can use a pH meter to just really dial it in and get that pH exactly where they want. Or they can just draw a little bit of uh, beer off of the kettle, uh, taste it and see if they have the level of sourness that they want. And if they're, they're pretty satisfied with that, now they'll drain off the boil. And that's when they'll add their hops, they'll add other things if they want to, other flavors, and carry on fermentation as usual. And that's where you pick up a little bit more alcohol. So now today's sours, we call them kettle sours because usually cleaner, drier, more efficient, and more predictable. And they're very fast. So we actually can get them in a can, get them in a bottle, get them out to market so people can enjoy them for everyday consumption. And I feel like, too, with, with sours, ghosts, Verliner Weiss, you know, you usually see something in front of that as well because it's some type of flavor. What are they able to do with that and get those flavors? You know, whether it's a strawberry or a, you know Valencia orange or something like that. How are they able to do that? I think brewers they recognize if everybody is making uh, kettle sours emulating those goes in Berliner Weiss flavors as soon as fast, they're all going to taste the same. Every nine thousand breweries in America are going to make these sours. They're all going to be the same. Uh, again, you look back to history a little bit. And in Berliner Weiss, in, in the Berlin region, the Germans would not be caught drinking a Berliner Weiss without having some sort of fruit added to it, and usually a fruit syrup, either a Woodruff syrup or a raspberry syrup. And I think that gives today's brewers a chance, well, they did it back then, so we can do that now. We're just not going to add the, the syrups you know, at the bar um, to, to taste. We're actually going to put that in at the brewery so the brewer can control how much fruit flavor, how full they want the beer, how much impression they want that fruit uh, to make on the final product. And yeah, the sky's the limit. Um, you know, if the beer has a natural, you know, lemon, lime, you know, green apple characteristic, then what are the fruits add to that? Is there strawberry? Is there peach, uh, mandarin, orange? I mean, you can get very, very specific and very exotic with these flavors. Uh, I know we recently carried a beer with a carrot cake character. So using carrots in the beer and you wouldn't think that that would work in the sour ale uh, is a total gimmick, but you know what? I fell for it. Hook, line, sinker. I actually like the beer quite a bit. So the fruits are definitely one way you can make the beer stand out. And you can do the same thing in sours you can with a lot of other styles. If it's got enough available sugars and if it goes to the brew kettle, brew as usual, cool it down, add the yeast, and you can pick up some alcohol. Uh, Urban Artifact's really good at making sour beers that come in around 8 9% alcohol. And you don't taste the alcohol. You taste the acidity, and that alcohol tucks really nicely behind that acidity. You don't even know it's there. It's still crisp. It's still refreshing, even though it's imperial status beer. It is insane how drinkable these things are and how dangerous they are at that point because it's easy to be seduced by these fruit flavors and this whiny backbone and characteristics and just that dry, tar, refreshing characteristic. It's perfect to beat the heat. They're great summer beers and they can get you in trouble in a hurry. Well, and, and as we've talked previously, just in the regular tasting notes, you know, they're not just summer beers anymore or spring or warm weather. You pretty much are going to see those almost all year round too. 
Oh yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, the, the wintertime, that's when you see the more alcoholic ones coming around because they recognize it's snowing outside. We'll give you a sour beer, but we're going to warm you up too. Uh, we're going to you know boost the spirits. We're going to make you forget all about those short you know uh, you know sun drawn days. And uh, so yeah, there's no season whenever it comes to sour ales. It's kind of gone just like the IPA has. There's an IPA for every season. Now there's a sour ale for every season. Um, something that's been coming a little more popular for summer or, or winter type uh, sours. It's just, they have more body and they're more body from a couple of different things. Maybe there's more cereal grain in those like we get in the hazy IPAs. Maybe there's these impressions of fullness. You get a flavor like from vanilla, uh, milk sugars. You get some of those flavors. And that's when we start calling beers uh, smoothie sours or slushy sours. You see those terms floating around. Those are not style names, but they're nicknames given to beers that have a little bit different treatment. Uh, so yeah, you got the creaminess, you got the fruitiness, and at, at some point you can just put a straw on the top and forget it's even a beer. Uh, they can become very convincing in that smoothie fashion. I was going to say, you see those a, a lot th these days, and it's kind of funny because when I've talked to others on, on the show and, and on the, the craft beer roundtable, long ago it might have been an IPA that brought someone into the, the fold as a craft beer lover. Now it could be a banana split, vanilla, pineapple, come quiet, <laughs> you know, sour, and that's not unusual. Not unusual at all. Um, no one falls out of the womb craving things like bitter IPAs, like sweeter barley wines, those kind of flavors. Sometimes it takes a familiar flavor to draw us in a little bit. You know, somebody says, oh, I remember this beer. I used to drink something like this from Smoothie King, you know, or some other store that they used to remember when they were a child. You know, that can be the hook. That can be the thing that draws them in. Um, so today's beer scene is very varying. And if you don't like what traditional beer tasted like even five and six years ago, well, the market's changed. It's a lot different now. So there's probably a flavor out there that suits just fine. I was going to say, I think one I had the other day was a cherry pie sour and it took me back um, and it was wonderful. And this is wonderful, Kevin. And I, I appreciate the time as always. Thank you, Jonathan. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here on the Bar Conversations is singer, songwriter, musician, teacher, I think she does it all, <laughs> Lauren Balthrop. Lauren, welcome in. Hi, it's so nice to meet you, Jonathan, and hang out with uh, you for a little while. Absolutely. And did I get it right? I know I tried it beforehand, but did I get it right when I hit the record button? You did. Because <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't I'm notice, sure you get so. <laughs> I'm sure you get it said a few different ways. Yeah, you sound, you said it correctly because I didn't notice that it was wrong. So I think you said it right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I feel, feel special. I feel like this is going to be a great episode then. You and are special. Some Even some of my closest <laughs> friends um, can't say my name right, so... Well, you know, it, it happens, it, but, you know, we, we won't, uh, <laughs> hopefully nothing bad happens on that end, so. Um, you got anything good tonight? I got a little bourbon, a little Dragon's Milk Origin out of, out of Michigan. Ooh. I'm a Kentucky guy, but, uh, you know, I, I went for a fancy bottle. I, I just like the look of the bottle. I'm drinking a Boulevardier in a Nashville, um, what do you call this glass? I should know my glasses, but I don't. Um, but it has the map of Nashville on it. Um, these were given to me and a boulevardier is a Campari. It's like a Negroni, but with rye instead of gin. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Now, now do you, do you drink a, a lot of, you know, whiskeys or is that kind of your go-to or do you kind of mix and match? 
Um, I'm very much an Italian Amaro kind of girl. Um, I lived in Brooklyn for a long time, and I went to this bar called the Brooklyn Social, and uh, they turned me on to all the things Italian Amaro. Campari and Averna and Chinar and all of that. It's delicious. I love that. I love so that. Campari's that, that's in so here. Cool. <laughs> now, now I, I know on um, you know being on social media, you do some silly reels from time to time and some TikToks. <laughs> uh, how how is that and why is that? Um, generally, when I'm doing a silly reel or TikTok, it's because I'm bored. Um, especially the ones where they like stick something on your forehead and then they like quickly go through some options and then tell you like where you're going to be in 10 years or who you're going to marry or what celebrity you look like. Those ones, um, are generally when I'm just like laying bored on the couch. Um, occasionally I'll do, you know, some more promo style reels or tiktoks that um i actually play my music and try to engage new people because that's what tiktok and reels are all about is trying to find new people not just the people that already follow you Uh, i mean that makes total sense to me i i I get that and you know it's fun to kind of share that that side of yourself and you know, I, I think I saw on there you're trying the, the fiddle. Um, how, how's <laughs> yeah. that going? I mean, what made you want to learn that? Um, yeah, my fiddle's right behind me on the floor here. Um, let's see if we can angle the camera towards it. Ooh, yeah, you can kind of <laughs> see it there. Um, I've played the violin, funny enough, since I was, um, I want to say, 12 years old. But I um, wasn't a diligent student Um, I learned recently that I have ADHD and, uh, I definitely am jack of all trades, master of none. There's a, there's more to that quote that I actually learned in a reel, but I can't remember it right now. Um, but it's actually about being, it's better to be, you know, well-rounded. That's how I think of myself. But as a kid, I jumped around. I did sports, I did dance, I did voice, I did theater, I took multiple lessons on different instruments. Um, And so I loved it all, but I was never like hyper-focused on any one thing long enough to really get where you need to get to be a master of something. Um, And so I've sort of just toted this violin around with me my whole life. Um, It lived with me in Brooklyn and it lived with me in college and... Um, everywhere I've been basically, but not until recently have I really been shedding it and pulling it back out. And, um, mostly I've been focused on old time fiddle, um, cause a lot of my friends here play old time fiddle and it's just fun to be able to go to a jam and be able to play with them. Um, so that's sort of why I've picked it back up and spent a number of hours over the last six months. i really picked it back up when I had COVID in December and I was stuck in this room (laughs) (laughs) needed something to do so I started learning a couple old time songs um and for those that are not familiar that's like old time Appalachian fiddle style music 
um, very simple tunes generally it's like all about the melody and there's usually an a part and a b part and you just play those over and over and over and over again and uh it's sort of like trance music when people start jamming on it i, I like that and you mentioned that you know you played uh, the piano and and the violin i mean any other future goals or instruments that you you want to check off the list I mean, I also have a clarinet. I've been toting around with me for a long time. I played clarinet in middle school, so at some point. My best friend, Elizabeth, plays clarinet. She picked it up during the pandemic, and I'm like, that would be really funny if we got together and started playing clarinet together. Um, But my clarinet is currently unplayable. It needs new cork and all of that to even make a sound. So it needs a little (laughs) TLC. (laughs) yeah but yeah I play guitar and piano those are my main instruments and singing is if I was ever hyper focused on an instrument um it would definitely be my voice because I've just always sung wherever I could go and sing since I was like four apparently (laughs) I would just (laughs) sing for whoever would listen Disney songs or whatever well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you were meant for, for music, but I know you took, I guess you could say a little detour. You went into, you know, theater, went to New York City for a while. What what was that like, and, and um, what was it like pursuing that, that dream for a while? Well, theater was something I pursued my whole childhood, um, and it did keep me focused um, because, you know, you show up to rehearsal, you have to be there, you're there. Um, and I did theater all the way from fourth grade through high school and then I studied theater in college um but I started writing songs in high school my both my brothers are songwriters and so I realized when I got to New York and even in college um that I just had this love for music and songs um And writing my own songs started becoming a thing. Um, And it was something that I could do anytime. Like I could wake up, pull my guitar off the wall, or sit down at my piano and play songs and sing um, without having to audition, (laughs) without having to like prepare a piece and then like wait to be judged by some panel of people that you don't know who like you hope they had a good lunch and that they're in good spirits and um, want you for whatever part. And I think I just didn't have the right spirit at that age to do that. You really have to, like, have big cojones, (laughs) you know, to just go after acting. Um, It takes a certain kind of person. Yeah, I definitely... Like, there's so many things I could do now that I definitely could not do then. Like, if I wanted to pursue acting now, I probably could. I say that arrogantly, but I just have a different... Well, but life experience, yeah. Yeah, I just have a different amount of experience now. I wouldn't care about if somebody didn't want me in their role or whatever because it's so subjective and it's all about the character, you know? So whether you're that character or not... Um, the director who the casting director they'll know just from seeing you walk before you even talk <laughs> they can like watch you walk into the room and know whether 
you're right for the role or not sometimes. And then there are some people that are just so brilliant at acting that they can really do anything. But there are some times where you just know what, you, what you're looking for in a role, in a part. And then you see that person walk in the room and you're like, that's the person that's going <laughs> to play this role. And it has nothing to do with you as a person. And I didn't well, know that when I was 18 or 20 or whatever. I was just, I took everything so personally. Well, there, there is an innocence time. to that. And, and just, you know, as, as you, you gain experience, things change. And, um, you know, and, and you ended up taking a different route. And I, I think it's worked out well for you. And, you know, you went back to kind of music. And, and what pushed you into, you know, kind of giving music a, a shot and kind of a full go? Yeah, it really was during college, too. I worked at a club on campus um, called the Club Down Under, and all these big, um, not even big, just like indie bands would travel and play there. And I was turned on to um, Andrew Bird, um, Mates of State, Rilo Kiley, um, I think... What's that guy's name? Jared Leto's band. I was never really into them, <laughs> oh, but 32nd yeah, to Mars. Was that mm -hmm. it? Yes, yes. I was not into that band, but I, you know, got to be the hospitality wrangler for Jared Leto for a day when his band played my campus club. Um, and so I saw what that was like. I got to go on bands, tour buses and stuff like that. And it looked really fun. And... You could just do it. You could just pack yourself into a bus or a van. Or I saw all kinds of bands, you know, not just bus touring vans, bands as well. So I could have, I just like, oh, I could pack myself into a, a van and, and get on the road. Um, and then my brother, he was playing music and songwriting. And so I started, you know, writing songs and sending them to him. And, uh. He had already put out a solo record that I loved and listened to over and over again. And um, so there was partly that, that like the shift during college that I didn't switch majors or anything like that. I didn't decide to switch to music. Um, but I, when I moved to New York, I kind of already knew that I wanted to just be in my brother's band. And I pursued acting a little bit, but like I kind of already knew that I was like, I don't want to do commercials and grind away to try and get a really tiny part on Broadway or off Broadway or off, off, off Broadway. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it's a different, completely different life. The one of theater actor versus theater actor is all about like your troupe, I feel like. But I sort of knew, even when I moved to New York, that I was going to pursue music instead, even though I hadn't studied it <laughs> in the same way. But you don't need to. Well, you'd been singing all your life, right? Totally. And I was doing musical theater, but, and I took lessons, music lessons, and I knew how to read music. I was in the choir. I went to Catholic school. So, I mean, it, it it worked out, and you know, you kind of touched on the bands that you were kind of introduced to. 
well, in New York, but what were some of your musical influences growing up? Um, well, through my parents um, and through my grandparents, I had the Andrews sisters. I loved them. Three-part harmony. My And my aunts and my mom sang like them. Um, and then from my hometown, you know, there's Jimmy Buffett. He's from Mobile. And uh, he was in high school with my they were in the same class with my dad and my mom and they were all cheerleaders together it was hilarious um so like that southern musical van um not van morrison but he was part of the record collection that my parents had and then my brothers i had like rem blasting all the time um and then through him, through high school, I got Elliot Smith, and somewhere along the line, you get the Beatles. I don't know. Everybody gets the Beatles. I just don't know where I got <laughs> injected with the Beatles, but I definitely had it. Um, That's all right. My daughter's getting injected with it through <laughs> a, a Netflix TV show called Beat Bucks. So, Ooh, <laughs> so somehow, that's some fun. <laughs> somehow, some way, it's going to get you. I just points. have like vivid memories of washing my mom's car in the backyard and listening to the White Album, like blasting it and thinking I was the coolest girl ever. Um, and then I had this director of the theater that I, where I did all the plays growing up. Um, he was a big Django Reinhardt guy. And that's honestly how I got turned on to the violin was through gypsy jazz music and Stefan Grappelli. I'm still, it's so depressed. I'm like, I can't believe I'm old, as old as I am. And I still haven't attempted one Stefan Grappelli song in my entire life, even though he was the reason I was drawn to the violin. I haven't even attempted I think I'm like too scared or something to even try. <laughs> Maybe that could be a TikTok one day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Me attempting Stefan Grappelli. Yeah. I've been too afraid. And now I step into it. Um, but yeah, that was like a big influence. And then, of course, theater. I loved all the um, Rodgers and Hammerstein and... Um, Oh my God, no, I'm forgetting everyone, but. So know. just a few, just, uh, I mean, different <laughs> things along the way. and you So know, many. You, and you touched on it because you grew up in Mobile, moved to New York. I think you live in Nashville now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So how, how does each, because those are kind of three very different places in a sense. How have, how have those areas impacted you and kind of just how the artist that you've become? Well, I, my Southern definitely comes out now more than when I lived in New York. Um, Though I knew at a young age that I wanted to leave Mobile, Alabama, that I didn't see myself living there. And I always knew I wanted to live in New York because I did theater. And I was like, I'm going to live in New York City one day. And then my brother just made it super easy like he moved my brother moved there in 2003 and then as soon as I graduated from college I moved there in 2006 um so he made it easy because he had a house there that I could just move into (laughs) 
That does help. That does help. Because <laughs> New York City is not for the faint of heart, and I had it pretty easy um, with the housing gods, whoever they may be. And and I was gonna say you you know as as you went into music, you were part of some. Um, you're part of several groups. When when did you kind of realize though that maybe group life wasn't exactly what you wanted and went toward the um, solo route? I wouldn't say it's not that I didn't want group life. Um, we sort of all just outgrew our groups. Um, um, yeah, I in in New York I was in my brother's band. We had a band together for um, you know still technically going we haven't officially <laughs> broken up though we don't really play that often um but we have a band called folk uh, called Baltimore, alabama it's a fictional small town and uh we always joked that we were a traveling small town we had at our max we had like 13 people in the band um though the most we ever toured with was nine um and the inspiration for us was somewhere along the lines of Arcade Fire. My brother saw Arcade Fire play, um, I think, in like 2005. And he just loved the energy of the live band. Everybody like banging on drums and doing different things all over the stage. And uh, that really inspired him. And so we, we formed this band. And it was very different musically than than Arcade Fire. Um, we, we say that we sing love songs about the end of the world or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have the worst memory. Um, let me look something up real quick. I have another screen over here. Um, can't remember what we used to say about ourselves. Something like... Um, just something about like love songs about death or something like that <laughs> something that didn't exactly go go together yeah <laughs> so we had i had that band and then i sort of satisfied my um andrew sister's love with a three-part harmony girl group um called the bandana splits and we put out one album of originals and covers and one holiday album and uh, now it's kind of funny. We get together like once a year and we play ho these holiday shows. We get asked to do like the Christmas tree lighting at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And so that's a really like fun, swanky gig. So we usually take it, even though we don't really play together anymore. Um, but the reason those groups sort of um, stopped going was like everybody sort of grew up and had kids and moved to different places and um the pandemic even more so like hardly anyone's left in Brooklyn that that I knew when I was there and yeah I moved to Nashville about five years ago um and all those bands had already sort of ran their course like we didn't end any of them because yeah, we weren't, like, going separate ways or anything like that. Um, but I always, you know, I'm a creative person, so I've always been writing songs alongside all these projects that didn't really have a place inside those projects. 
they were just these other songs that I had that I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with all these songs, <laughs> but, um, eventually I'll do something with them. And, uh, it, it's not until like now that I feel like I really found my own voice because being in a group, you're always blending, you know, you're always blending. You're not fully just a hundred percent yourself. You're everybody's sort of making not compromises, but we're all like coming together. It's like you think the Lennon and it's McCartney a, yeah. sandwich or whatever, or, and then you see them on their own and they're both great on their own, but they're also like this other completely different thing together. Um, and so I'd, I'd only ever done stuff together. So I was just like, these are all these songs I have that I guess they don't work in the together place, but here they are. Um, and as those bands sort of didn't fall apart, but didn't, weren't really doing anything, I was like, well, I guess I can do stuff with all these songs that I have. <laughs> I just got some of these over here. We'll just see what <laughs> happens and, and, and go from there. You, you know, yeah. this is, you, you're about to put out your, your official second solo album, technically speaking, because you did put out one under a, a pseudonym there, uh, I think in between some group work, Dear Georgiana. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Because I'm sure, you know, now, you, as you said, you're kind of almost completely solo. I mean, you do work with some other artists on p different things, but for the most part, you are, you know, by by yourself. How was it kind of doing something in between all that work and doing something solo? Yeah, I mean, Dear Georgiana, um, even the name is comes from Bothrop, Alabama. In Bothrop, Alabama, we all had these stage names, um, town names that were actual towns in Alabama. Um, and my stage name was Georgiana Starlington, and I was the town dreamer. I always knew I was going to leave town one day, um, which was fitting. And so Georgiana was like my stage name in that band, and um, I was Georgiana Starlington for a little while until a cease and desist came along, and then I um, na renamed it Dear Georgiana just out of ease and simplicity. Um, and those songs, they were cool. They were like my first songs that didn't fit anywhere. And they were sort of an amalgamation of these styles of music. Um, this like retro pop that I loved, like sort of 60s retro pop, you know, mixed with that girl group feel. Um, so it was like very different than what I'm doing now. Um, I've definitely been drawn more and more to this like folk um, scene, like I'm around it more, I'm surrounded by people that are playing that music, and, um, I've discovered other, like, folk music that I really love, um, and so I've sort of been drawn more to that in my new songs, and they just feel more of someone who's lived, <laughs> you know, um, I'm amazed by young artists who seem to have so much wisdom at a really young age. I, def I definitely don't feel like I had that, but um, now I, I just feel like I can tell, I can say something about the world and it means something um, because I've, I've lived, lived it and experienced it well, in a way yeah. that, yeah, my songwriting at 21 was very different. <laughs> Well, those experiences, you know, change change the the viewpoint that we have on on life. And you know, in 2018, you released uh, 
your your official solo debut album uh this time around now n- next month august you've got things will be different how do those two albums compare um well the titles actually go together um it's like a run-on sentence this time around things will be different um which that wasn't planned um from the start both albums that took a really long time to name them because they're not songs on the album um and I wasn't doing like a self-titled thing it just speaks to where I was in my life both of both of these records come in a in a time period of change and upheaval sort of um you know some breakups involved (laughs) some heartbreak um and you always are looking towards the future with hope or you're hoping you're looking to the future with hope for that things are going to be this time around things are going to be different (laughs) 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 and now i mean now and now things will be different i mean it just it feels so heavy now with the state of the world too but those titles they they're definitely like full of so much meaning um even though there's not a song on the album or a lyric even of this time around or things will be different on the album they don't appear well there's just I, sort I of these overarching feeling well and i'm gonna touch on kind of something that i thought was really cool with what you did with kind of the cover art but before i even get to that you know I, I getting a, a early listen to the album you know I, I i think my two favorites that aren't aren't singles at the moment are um, get lost and bringing me down but i also read too that you said this album feels like it's completely your own so so what is it about this album that's different well one i wrote basically 98 percent of the album not 98 maybe 95 because <laughs> i wrote I co-wrote a full song with uh, my good friend Maya DeVitri, Um and it's, I think it's the second to last track on the album, Thank You. Um, but this time around, I I wasn't as like fully, um, car- like fully carved in my songwriting yet. It took me a lot longer to write songs um, for the last album, and it, so much so that I was bringing songs half finished songs or like ideas into the studio and saying josh help me is this a song i think like i didn't have enough material um and i was like building up um and so josh helped me hone those songs and edit them and he shares writing credit on a lot of those songs um and this album it feels, you know, mostly songs that I've written in the last two years on my own during the pandemic. Um, and before, there's a few songs that are a little bit older, but it's the first one that fully feel they all the songs are my own songs. Like for, we didn't do a lot of editing in the studio of the writing. Um, not really at all. Um, so in that way, it feels fully my own voice and the stories are mine and, um, I'm confident in them 
in a different way than I was with the songs on my last record. Well, and you, your first single on this was 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 piece of shit, <laughs> and that that's not the quality of the song. That's just the title <laughs> of the song, folks. So don't don't think I'm saying anything bad. So why that song, and why kind of come out with just something that might catch people off guard, but you know actually has a a meaning to it, and and especially with what was going on during the time you wrote it. You know, it's a little bit tongue in cheek that song of, um, yeah. I feel like we were trying to get like let's get people's attention with this first song like they'll probably look at it if it says piece of shit um so it's a little bit of a gimmick in that way but the song is um and the ones that you chose as your favorites those are all about you know self-doubt and anxiety and dealing with um those kind of thoughts taking over your head um, and piece of shit is about feeling like a piece of shit. I mean, I started the song sort of shortly after the pandemic, after lockdown. And I remember I had just gotten off a tour like three weeks with a friend. And so I was kind of exhausted when we got home. Like we literally got home and it was day one of lockdown um, without having to cancel a show either. And uh, so we were a little bit lucky. But. I got home and I was tired and then everybody was going like, what are you going to do with this time? Like people are going to write their masterpiece or learn how to make sourdough bread or they're going to plant their victory garden or whatever it is. And I just didn't have it in me. Um, And so I felt a little bit like a piece of shit for, um, for not wanting, not trying to, not feeling inspired. (laughs) And through that, I got inspired and wrote a song. So, um, And it was one of those ones where you're like half joking, like I'll never sing this song. Like, Especially the first line, why do I feel like a piece of shit all the time? It's like not a line that is poetic by any means. You're like, I'm... To some it could be. To some I'm fucking be. with you and <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're going along for the journey. Um, sort of like... It's one of those songs where you sing that first line and everybody laughs. And then they quickly are like, oh, wait, it's not a funny song. (laughs) But, you know, I'm trying to make you laugh before you feel something heavy, maybe. Um, So it's it's like dealing with that self-doubt and anxiety and then also the, like, skepticism around religion um, is part of the song. It's like, I want to believe in something. I want to feel like a kid again. I want to do something positive. Um, It's like a little bit that too. Dealing with wanting to have like a purpose, a higher purpose or something. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, it's a a great lead single and it it really draws you into the album. And and Thank You is is another um, great song. And you know, I was looking at at it yesterday or the other day, getting ready for this, and <laughs> I realized you guys got a little creative with the album cover and then the two single covers. So, can you talk a little bit about kind of the 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 covers in general and and what the meaning is behind each of them? Yeah, it sort of was an evolution. Um, I just 
I bought this dress in France, and I was in France last summer for a songwriting retreat, and I'm going back again next week for the same songwriting retreat in France. And I bought this dress there, and then we were staying at my friend Joy's house in the south of France, and it just had this beautiful, like, terracotta shingled barn in the backyard. Um, And... I was like, well, I have this pretty dress, and there's this pretty scene here. Maybe we can set up a table, and we can do some photos in front of it. Um, And then from there, once I started seeing the photos, I was like, what would it look like if, um, if it was two of me across? And then, like, it's playing with the idea of, like, present and future. So it's like... One of them's present me, and one of them's future me or past me um, in conversation with one another. Like if you could talk to yourself in the future or talk to yourself in the past, um, what conver- what would that conversation be like? And, and the more I sat with that, that's sort of like the new alternate meaning of thank you for me as well. Originally, we wrote thank you as like this healing song around the stages of grief when you leave a relationship behind you know you at one point you love a person (laughs) and you're like have nothing but affection for them and then that tie is severed somehow and then you hate them and then you're angry with them and um you can't believe you ever fell for their shit that sort of thing and (laughs) And then one day you're like, oh, but I learned so much from you. Thank you. <laughs> that sort of arc. Um, but then when I sat with this like imagery of past and future, I was like, oh, that could be the same relationship that you have with your past self. You're like, oh, I loved you, but I also hate you. Why did you... <laughs> do this and why did you do that and why'd you oh, put but me I learned, all this <laughs> but I learned so much from that experience or yeah and thank you blah 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 <laughs> so it's gonna no, be I, like I, I loved it though because it, it is so cool to see because like I said I saw the the main album cover then I saw you know the 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 single piece of shit's single cover and then when thank you came out I was like oh wait aha she did it. she had a, a fun fun thing with that and and I kind of love having a little bit of extra meaning behind it, and it's not just something thrown, thrown together to kind of you know make it look cool or anything. It, this has got some some real meaning behind it, and I, I think I just uh, I love that about kind of how the whole album even came together. Yeah, and it, it's fun that it was like an evolution for me too. It wasn't something. I, f- it, I mean, I feel like that's what like artistry is is discovery. Um, you know, a painter might know exactly what they want to paint before they touch a brush to the canvas, but it, or it might just be like a journey that takes shape, you know, like abstractly. Um, and that's what this sort of felt like. It was like I planned all of it from day one. It was an evolution, and that in some ways means so much more to me that way than if I like just had the crystal clear vision or something which is cool too <laughs> oh, no, I, I mean i think it, I, I love how this record sounds i love the the artwork for for the album and 
and everything. And I, I think I believe you've got a tour to kind of help support the, the launch of it coming up in August and September. And I'm I sure do. you're excited to get out and play play some shows. I am. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, I'm going to do a little Northeast run with good friends of mine, Violet Bell. Um, they're based out of North Carolina. They're sweet folk Americana duo. And uh, I we plan to like make these shows somewhat collaborative. Um, I don't know what shape that'll take yet, but I'm really excited for that. Um, and yeah, we're going to play New York and Boston, which are cities that I've, you know, played quite a bit in and uh i'll have a nashville album release show and uh doing a little show in louisville as well in your state of kentucky i love it i love it you're kind of hitting all, all sorts of little spots along mm -hmm. al along the way and and how much do you enjoy getting out and, and actually just playing the music and not just you know working on it and and kind of giving it a different kind of life oh it's the best if it didn't take so much work to just, you know, set up <laughs> one week of shows, I would probably do it all the time. Um, but it is quite a bit of work um, trying to get one week of shows together. But imagine if I quit a number of things that I'm doing, I could probably make time for it. <laughs> Easier said than done, though. <laughs> if I had the energy for it, yeah. <laughs> so well at lauren as as we wrap up you can find her at laurenbalthrop.com and lauren balthrop music on social media and you know anything else folks can expect from you the the rest of the year i know we've we're about half we're a little over halfway through i mean what else can folks expect fr from you or is it just maybe getting out a little bit more and and uh sharing more than the music you've made um yeah i hope to do just like another couple of runs um throughout the fall um and I'll be playing with some other friends on tour as well. Michaela Ann, um, who's just put out a new record called Oh To Be That Free, and it's beautiful. Um, so I'll be out on the road with her a little bit this fall. Um, and, yeah, I'm just really excited for these shows coming up and getting to put this album out, finally. It takes so much time between recording and finally getting to put the thing out. <laughs> Well, folks, if you get the chance, listen to it. First two singles are out. They're they're wonderful, and the rest of the album is great as well. And Lauren, this was so much fun, and thank you for sharing your your journey and just uh, you know kind of the the wild ride that you, you've been on. Thanks so much. This has been really fun. So nice to meet you, Jonathan. <laughs>